Thank you, Rob. That was a very generous and gracious prayer to pray, particularly given that we spent the last week together, mainly. Um, we had to share a room in a hotel. We were at a conference together, so uh, we've, we've decided that neither of us snore, so that's great. So we, can, we can, came home to tell our wives that neither of us snore, contrary to what they seem to think. Um, but we, we had a great time at the conference, and it was a... Uh, yeah, Rob's very graciously just prayed for me there, despite uh, having to share a room with me for a few days. Uh, up in Bradford, of all places. Uh, AOG Leaders Conference was up in Bradford this year, and so we'd gone up there. I want to talk about a really big topic today. I wonder if you have the first slide up, please, uh, just to help us. I want to talk about knowing the quiet call of a mighty God. It's there. That's okay. That's interesting. I shall be. It's not at the, normally I have a screen at the back which tells me what to say next. No, it actually tells me what's up there. It's exactly the same thing. Um, but it's not there. So Bar- while Barry's working on that, um, we'll, I'll follow these. So this is the theme for today, the quiet call of a mighty God. And this is a big topic, a big question for us. Um, following on really from Dom's talk last week about intimacy with God, this, I think this neatly follows on. It may not seem why at the moment, but it will appear so later on. This is a question kind of linked in, this kind of topic linked into that big thing of what's our purpose in life, our call in life, our, what's the reason we're here? And uh, in preparation for this, I watched a few videos of kids answering the question, what do you want to do when you grow up? And you get some great answers. I, too long, unfortunately, to show you today. Um, but, you know, these, these were videos mainly from America, so the answers were, as you'd expect, uh, fireman, policeman, uh, doctor, uh, vet, somebody wanted to be, uh, someone wanted to, what else did someone want to be? A couple of ballerinas, uh, people wanted to be ballerinas. The one guy was, I'm particularly impressed with, he wanted to be a baseball player, things in America, or an ice cream man. <laughs> and his theory was, and he worked it all out, his theory was that if his team wasn't playing, he could still go to another game and sell ice creams there <laughs> and still watch baseball, which I thought was a great plan. So he got it all sorted out, just this young lad, um, with his dream of what was he going to do, be a baseball player and an ice cream man, which is, I thought was fabulous. We, kind of, we often grow out of that, what will I be when I grow up? But as Christians, we can often wonder what God's calling on our lives is. Because we know that we've got a job, but we kind of have this sense of uh, that, that God might want us to do something beyond just our job. And he might have a specific call for us or a, a kind of a, a distinct call. And, and I know that this can cause us some anxiety. And I want to talk about this today. It causes us some anxiety because we can read all sorts of literature and read books and read internet articles. And, and sometimes that just heaps the pressure on. One author wrote this, a court to define calling, and I, I'm not going to agree with this, but this is what they said. A calling is God's personal, individual invitation to carry out the unique task God has for you. God's personal invitation to, individual invitation to carry out the unique task he has for you. Followed, he followed that by saying, and he was completely, he meant this, he said that seems simple enough. So it seems simple enough that I have to discover what Almighty God has uniquely ordained for me to do, nobody else in the world. That sounds quite complicated to me. I don't know about you. And that's the kind of understanding I think some of us can have about the call of God on our lives. I'm going to read a passage and uh, unpack some thoughts around calling and hopefully hear from God today as we look into a really interesting uh, passage together. 1 Kings 19. The words won't be on the screen because it's a long passage, so if you have a Bible, do turn to it, please. And we look at 1 Kings 19, whether that's on your phone or tablet or in a paper Bible. 
So here we go. 1 Kings 19. This is a story about a guy called Elijah who's a prophet. That means he speaks on God's behalf. And he's speaking on God's behalf uh, to Israel and particularly to a guy called Ahab who's a king. And so he's just had a bit of a, there's been a bit of a fight sort of up a mountain. Elijah has demonstrated that God, his God, the God we would worship, is God. He's turned up and done some amazing things and lots of prophets of a false God have been proved to be wrong in who they were following. And uh, this is, so we've got a couple of characters in the story as we get to Ahab, who's the king. And if this was a pantomime, when Ahab's name is mentioned, you'd go, boo, because he's a bad king. And his wife Jezebel is even worse. So you could go, boo, for her, because that's, you know, she's she's worse. And Elijah's the kind of hero in this story. We're not going to boo, because that would throw people off. But there we go. You can if you want, I suppose, but I wasn't planning that. So it says, now Ahab told... Uh, you have to be quick. You ready? Okay, here we go. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with you, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I will not make your life like that of one of them. They're all dead, by the way. So Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came to a broom bush, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate, drank, and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled for 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. Then he went into a cave and spent the night. There he went into the cave and spent the night. The word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword, and I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then, the voice, then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. You get the sense he's practiced that line, don't you? The Lord said to him, go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Haziel, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king of, over Israel. And appoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from abel Mehola to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Haziel, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. That's the reading for today. Powerful passage, interesting passage, slightly weird passage, but that's the story for today. And 
today I want to be reflecting on this sense of a call of God and realizing that we actually use this word as Christians in three different ways. We use the word calling to talk about how um, God gives a direct call to somebody. This is a direct, personal instruction by God, a command, a commissioning, where God turns up and says, Elijah, you, go and do this. Generally, that's accompanied by the vision of an angel, or an angel turning up or God himself turning up, that seems, or a fire burning in Moses' case. But there's lots of stories in the Bible of God showing up and going, you, I want you to do this. That's a personal, direct call of God. We then have, secondly, the revealed call of God, which is in here, God's word, uh, where God has revealed himself already ahead of time. And he's revealed his call on our life, and we'll see that a little bit later. And then thirdly, we often talk about a more subjective sense of God's call. A subjective sense of God's call, where, actually, I've put personal there, but actually the word I will use later on is subjective, where we're trying to discern a sense of God's direction and will for our lives, and he hasn't physically shown up. We've not had an angel, we've not had a a burning bush, we've not had things like that happen, but we're sensing that maybe God is speaking to us, And we're trying to work out what God's saying to us. And that's that kind of subjective, personal sense of God's call. So first we're going to look at this direct call that God has for us. And then we're going to go on through those. Just to to check at this point. Who feels a, or knows a personal call? So you know this is for you. That you are to be a great encourager of people. Put your hand up. As you, you, know, you know that for you. You're meant to be an encourager of people, okay? Uh, hands up if you know you're meant to be an evangelist to, to take the good news. You personally, you're meant to take the good news. Let me just keep an eye on those hands because less of those. Because it might, might be calling to you because we need some evangelists. Great. Okay, so it's a handful. How many of you know that you are called, uh, commissioned, I've got my list here somewhere, particularly to help other people grow in faith? Okay, fabulous. Put your hands down. How many of you would love to be a baseball player or an ice cream seller? (laughs) A couple of you. All right, that's great. Just checking. So, God's direct call. Since the beginning of the Bible accounts, God is present with his people and he's calling them. He turns up in story after story. We read the story of Abraham, or Abram as he is then in Genesis 12, where God shows up and says, Abraham... Go, leave this place. Go somewhere else that I'll show you. I'll lead you. I'll take you there. We read the story of, well, so many others really, Moses I've mentioned with the burning bush. We read the story of Samuel. It's a story that often gets told to, to children's groups because it's a, he's a young boy at the time when God speaks to him. And I think it's exciting. It gives a sense that God could speak to you too. Uh, but Samuel hears the audible voice of God. He's woken up one night and God is speaking saying, Samuel, Samuel. And he thinks it's Eli, and so he runs to see Eli, and it isn't, and it turns out that it's God speaking. David is chosen in a slightly different way, uh, but God, through the prophet Samuel, then instructs him to anoint David as king over Israel. Isaiah is a prophet already when he's in the temple, and God turns up and speaks to him in a powerful way. Jeremiah, similarly, is spoken to by God in a personal way. He turns up and speaks to Jeremiah. 
The disciples are called by Jesus. They're called by God because Jesus is there with them and he says, I want you to follow me. You don't get much more personal than that, do you? And Paul, finally, is on the road and has a vision of God and, well, hears God speaking to him. And God turns up again to him. In this passage that we've just read, Elijah personally is visited by an angel, told to go to a mountain, and when he gets there, God speaks to him personally. And, and what actually happens with these stories, they're, they're, they're true stories, and these things still happen today. These things aren't just confined to the pages of the Bible. God still speaks in this way today, personally, directly. He can turn up and speak to people. But the reality is this, that when we read through the Bible, and even today, there are few people called in this way. Few of us, I'm not going to do a show of hands, but if we did a show of hands for how many had physically had God turn up in front of them, the number would be less than, than when we get to look at other calls. If, if we asked how many have heard an audible voice of God, like some of those other has, a few may have done, but it will be less than, again, some of those other calls. So we actually what we have is these are few people. They're special people for special tasks. But generally speaking, they don't plan a call. God rocks up. He says, here I am. This is what I want you to do. They're busy going about their, their day-to-day lives. And the call is often quite dramatic. And the call is about what they do. They're generally called to do something, a particular role. But generally speaking, there's a task. And that's for a few people, a specific set of folk. And what we can end up believing is that if we haven't had an encounter with God like this, that we're not called. And I want to show you today that that's not the case. That actually you do have a call already. And it's just as powerful as one of these. It's just as powerful. And we're going to look and see what that call is. Um, You see, there's a problem even in the Bible when we think, when we have this kind of mentality of how God is meant to call us. And the reason is this, that not everyone in the Bible is called like this either. So one of the great stories in the Old Testament is when the people of God are out of their own land and uh, they, they begin to go back again to do some rebuilding work. A guy called Nehemiah organizes people to build the wall and he's, he kind of really knows that he's doing the right thing, but God never speaks to him. God never says you're called to build a wall. He hears that there's a need and he responds to the need and he prays, God help me as I respond to the need. But he's never called in the way that we often talk about. When we come to looking at um, Esther, who's appointed for such a time as this. Queen Esther. Now, she's not, we don't read that she's called. God doesn't appear, she just enters a beauty contest and wins. And ends up in the palace, being trained and prepared. And there's no sense of God saying, oh Esther, you're quite attractive. If you apply for this, then you'll get it. And, and I'm in this. She just does what is there and trusts God, and God reveals himself as she's going through that process. We'll see later on some of the others that are called as well. Um, so I'll, I'll come back to that in a minute. But there's, there's often times when people are called, and actually, sorry, the people are doing stuff that's very important, and they're not specifically called or chosen by God to do so. They're just trusting God and getting on with the stuff that they need to do. So it's true that God speaks today. It really is true, but it doesn't happen that often in that way. The truth for us is this, that you already have the call of God that you're waiting for. If you're wondering today, what am I meant to be doing with my life? What's my calling? What's my, what, what am I to do? I want to give my life to God. 
completely holy, you actually already have the call that you're waiting for. How about that? Don't need to wait anymore. You've got it. So God's revealed call is this. And these, these are just some, I could have, I've got verses for each of these, but we haven't got time to go through them all. But we're called from some stuff, we're called into some stuff, and we're called to some stuff. We're called from sin. If you want a verse for that, it's Hebrews 9, 15. He died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. We're called, and earlier on in the verse it talks about being called to receive the promised inheritance. We're called out of sin. We're called from the world, John 15 verse 9. We're called from darkness, 1 Peter 2 verse 9. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who's called you out of darkness and, next bit, into it's wonderful light. So we're called out of darkness into light. So already we know that if we want to know what God's calling on our lives is, it doesn't involve sin. It doesn't involve having the same mindset as everybody else around us in the world. And it doesn't involve living in darkness. That's all right, isn't it? We've got some clarity already on what God's will is for our lives. When you're in a moral situation, a moral dilemma, wondering should I, shouldn't I, if it's sinful, the answer's no. Why not? Because you're called not to. If, if it's just going with the flow of what everybody else is doing uh, and possibly, possibly going against what God is saying, then also the answer is no. Why? Because you're called to live as someone who's not of the world. That's great. We're called into God's light. We're called into freedom. Galatians 5.13 says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. So do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather serve one another humbly. We're called to be God's people. Colossians 3, verse 12. We're called to eternal life. 1 Timothy 6, verse 12 says, Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called called when you made your good confession. We're called to fellowship with God. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 9. He's called us into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. We're called to live in God's kingdom. 1 Thessalonians 2.12, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom. There's another load of stuff there that we're called to into. Some of that's not as personal for us as the first batch, um, but that's really, really important. When I say not as personal, it's incredibly personal, but it doesn't help us shape so many decisions day by day, other than perhaps freedom does. Because if we're finding ourselves tempted by stuff that's not going to make us free or finding ourselves getting stuck in things that are binding us up, it's quite likely that that doesn't reflect God's call on our life because he's called us to be free. Last batch, we're called to belong to God. We're called to live in grace. We're called to live a holy life, to be a chosen people. We're called into God's hope. We're called to move heavenward. That verse is Paul writing in Philippians 3.14. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward. We're called to mission. We're called to be the light of the world, to be the children of God. Now I I did something a bit naughty. I asked you who felt called to certain things. Uh, And you answered honestly based on your feelings. And that's a and what you know of your own character and your personality, and that's a good thing to do. But I just want to tell you here, just on, on all of these, these apply to all of us. 
Okay, so under mission, Jesus said, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So I asked several things. I asked if, who felt called to encourage people, be an encouragement. Actually, all of us. It's that calling on our lives. It's part of God's revealed call to encourage one another. So next time someone asks you, are you called to be an encourager? The answer is yes. You are. You're called to be an encourager. Next time someone says, are you called to take the gospel? Are you called to be an evangelist in, with a small e, not capital E, but a small e, to take the gospel everywhere, to tell people about Jesus? And you go, no, no, I don't feel that's my calling. The answer is, yes, you are called to do that. How do I know that? Because it's part of God's revealed call. Already you've got it. It's part of the, part of the whole set. You've got no choice. We can't go, well, I don't feel like that. Because actually, Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. He doesn't say, go and make disciples if you feel like it. He says, go. So it's part already of God's call on our lives. And that's exciting. It's a bit scary, and some of us might be a bit intimidated by that, and I'll come on to some extra bits about that that will help, I think, in a minute. But we've got so much already that God has given us as his call on our lives. And it's exciting to live called by God. When we come to compare that list with the stuff we had before, we saw that a few people were called, special people, and so on. In terms of God's reveal called, all Christians are called. We're all called uh, for the direction of our lives and for tasks that God gives us to do. Not just special people, but all of us can live our lives uh, in God's way, following his lead, because he's revealed his will for us. God has already called us. We don't have to wait to be called. The call is dramatic on the first side with the direct call, but sadly, God's, God's revealed call often goes unnoticed to us because we're busy listening to other things and doing other things, but God is already calling us. Firstly, the call is about what God does, about what people do, and then on this side, it's about what God does. God's revealed call is about what he's doing in the world and us joining in. The writer Dallas Willard puts it like this. He says, our calling is to live as a co-worker with God in the creative enterprise of life on the earth. I like that phrase. Now, let's get back to our story. Elijah, having some problems. He's a bit miserable. All his mates have been killed, or so he thinks. And he's got a woman who's having a go at him, threatening him. And uh, really, he's just seen a mighty work of God. He's just seen God on his side. And he's in this place of worry and doubt and concern. As a woman said, I'm going to kill you. And she's a queen. She's pretty powerful. And uh, she was one of those people who worships the false gods that he's just proved aren't real. And he said, I'm now going, she's now said, I'm going to get you. And so God appears to Elijah and says, I want you to go to a mountain. It's to go to an old place, a place where... People have met with me before. Go there. Sometimes God does that. When he wants to speak clearly to you, he'll take you back. He'll he'll expect you and encourage you to go into a pattern of behavior that will take you back somewhere where he's spoken to you before. I've found that in my own life. You don't have to go to the physical location, but but often there's a a way of... I think God can work in different ways each time with us. But just occasionally, if you find that going for a walk is helpful for you then go for a walk and God may well speak to you. It's not the only way he can speak, but just find, take yourself back to the place where God speaks, if you're wanting to hear from God. And here, God sends Elijah to a place where he's spoken to people before. 
and he turns up. But there's a problem, you see. Elijah has to deal with some alternatives to God's call. He listens to God's voice right at the end of the story, and God speaks, according to the passage here, in a whisper, or actually the Hebrew says he speaks in the silence. So it's silent and God speaks at that point. But Elijah has to contend with a wind that comes first, an earthquake, and then a fire. And it doesn't say what those things are. They are just physical wind and physical earthquake and physical fire. But I want to think about some of the calls that come to us today and the pressures that take us away from God's call on our life. You see, if this is the revealed call of God to us, not all of it, but the stuff that's here to us today, because Jesus has fulfilled the old law and he's set us on a new track, so particularly Jesus' teaching and onwards, that teaching is here as God's revealed word and revealed call to us. There are things today that come against it. I think the wind that Elijah faces is a little bit like the culture that we live in today. You see, we live in a a culture where it's a bit like a prevailing wind. It's always going in the same direction. And we we can set our course, but you know what it's like when the wind's against you. You ever been out in a really strong wind on a hilly, in a hilly environment? And you're standing there, and you're kind of buffeted. And you, a few times I've tried this out walking, and the, the wind's never been quite strong enough. But you kind of jump and hope it'll take you backwards a bit, because it's that strong. In, I was in Egypt a couple of weeks ago, and the winds weren't quite that strong, but they were hot. And I hadn't quite anticipated what a hot wind would feel like, because it's already 41 degrees that day. And uh, on top of the natural heat, you've got heat blowing at you. It was like being in a, kind of like Dyson had invented something that would just keep you even warmer than you already were. Um, Because just, it was amazing. It felt quite pleasant if you're out in it briefly and then back into the air-conditioned room that we were in. But yeah, it was a bit hot. But our culture's a little bit like this, the constant breath that comes that defines for us our priorities. Our culture defines what success looks like. Our culture defines what, Uh, behavior looks like, it defines what comfort looks like, it defines what fulfillment looks like. Let me just unpack some of those very briefly. Uh, The world around us defines our priorities often. And it says these things are important and these things are not important. It also defines what success is. So for example, um, maybe some parts of our culture would say that to be famous or popular or wealthy or have a good career or to be getting promoted, or to achieve something memorable, to make a difference, to gain credibility, all of those things make you successful. Other parts of our culture would say, no, 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 that's less important. Having a good family and and being a good parent or a good partner, all those things are what make you successful. That's how you measure success. They all sound good, but they're all different aspects of the culture that we're in that presses on us or blows against us and And as Christians, as followers of God, our calling is actually to press into him and say, God, what have you called me to do, Lord? I've got all this pressure coming my way that tells me this is how I should think, this is how I should should measure my success, this is how I should measure my priorities, this is how I should behave. God, what are you saying? And at times, and we often pray this for young people, but it applies to all of us, at times it feels as though you're pressing into the wind as you hold on to something God said and God's told you to live your life a particular way. He's told you to shape your family a particular way or to take certain career choices or to behave in a certain way at work. And it feels like you're the only one and you've got this culture coming against you and you're holding on. That's tough. But it's our calling and God's with us. 
culture around us tells us how to behave. Many of you will have used this argument, though you'll probably have forgotten it. When at primary school, a few people were going somewhere that you wanted to go, or a few people had something that you wanted to have. I know that the argument that goes back home is, Mom, Dad, can I have one? Can I go there? Everybody else has got one. Everybody else is going. And as a parent, sometimes you get suckered into that. You, you say, oh, well, if everyone's going on that trip or that event, event maybe, maybe you know, my, my kids ought to go. And you discover, actually, it's only three people going. But your kids really wanted to go, and they were just so excited about the thought of going that they were trying to sell this thing and say, everybody else is doing it. That's what our culture does to us. It, in, in a bigger way, it says, this is how you should behave, when actually God has already revealed how we should behave. Let me move on. For Elijah, the prevailing culture was idolatrous. People worshipping false gods that abandoned God. And there are times in our lives where the loudest voice we can hear, like that blowing wind, is our culture. Let me help you to know if you're doing that and if I'm doing that. We know when we're doing that if we measure what we're doing and our values by what other people's values are. It's the simplest way. If, what's okay, if you measure what's okay for you and how you behave with what everybody else is doing, and maybe you're trying to be a bit better than them, then we're still measuring by our culture rather than by God and what he says. The earthquake, this is a bit quicker, this one. The earthquake, I think, reflects our circumstances. So Elijah's had a bit of a rough time, and we were talking about this earlier on in our worship time. When things are rough, there's a passage that Dom read, which Lizzie had read, which I was going to read, Um, from Habakkuk chapter 3, and it says this, Though the fig tree doesn't bud, and there are no grapes on the vine, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, there are no sheep in the sheepfold, and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will be depressed, and sit under a tree, and wish I was dead. That's what Elijah was doing. And some of us, if we're honest, have been there. We've gone, woe is me, because my life's a bit rubbish at the moment. It is, you know? It was sunny when I got up this morning, and now it's raining, and I'm just going to pack the whole thing in and go back to bed. And some of us have gone through, some of you, I know some of your stories, and you're going through some tough stuff. You really are going through some tough things, and they're not easy. And you know that I'm not flippant about those things, and we're not. Pastorally, those things are not to be taken lightly. But, but, they're only our circumstances. And even when they're shouting at us, Habakkuk says this, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. It's as if he's digging down deep into something that's deeper than his circumstances and going, I'm going to reach in and grab this and I'm going to praise God despite what's going on. And sometimes our circumstances are like an earthquake and they're shouting at you and they're shouting and they're saying, you've got to do this, you've got to respond in this way. They've been horrible to you. You're, You're sick or whatever it might be. You've got to respond in this way. But hear what God would say in those times. Hear the voice of faith and the voice of God's word that would speak to you despite the earthquake of your circumstances. Hold on to him. And finally, the fire. I'm not sure what I could come up with for fire. And fire is good. It's, you know, in some ways, it's purifying. It's consuming. I, I just thought maybe fires can be impressive. Uh, impressively hot, impressively powerful. It looks great sometimes, a fire. You can go and warm yourself. You've got light. And sometimes there are distractions of other things and other people that can be really impressive. Other people's calling or their, what they're doing for God. And that can feel really exciting and impressive. And that can sometimes actually throw us off what God has 
asked us to do. So how do we then follow God's subjective call, God's personal call for our lives? What do we do about this? Because I believe that God does want to lead us very clearly in addition to what he's given in his word. I've called this aspect of God's call subjective, and don't be offended by that. It's because it needs to be tested. This is where God hasn't physically turned up in front of you and said, hello, I'm God, I want you to do this for me. Or an angel has said, hello, I'm an angel, I want you to do this for me. That's pretty heavy duty, and you probably ought to do what God says at that point. Generally speaking, in the Bible, that's a good idea. If God turns up, do what he says. If God has revealed himself already in his word, we ought to do what he says as well. So we've got those. But there's this other section where we haven't physically seen God or physically heard him. And and, and there might be some good stuff written in the word, but we're actually getting a sense of something, a sense of God speaking. This is where most of our decisions operate. This is where most of us live most of the time. And that's okay. But I want to just debunk some of how spiritual that can be and just encourage you that God is leading you through that. This is what happens on a Sunday morning. Some people will come to the front and they'll tap one of us and and they might just share an encouragement. Albert shared an encouraging thought that he'd he'd noticed in one of the songs. He was sharing that with me today and I was encouraged by what he shared personally. That was great. Sometimes people come with a sense of a prophetic word and they'll say, I think God's saying this. What happens then, as you'll see in a minute in the verses, is that we weigh that and we test it as the Bible tells us to. So this is what you do. And it's subjective. It's subject to looking at things and weighing them and testing them. God promises this. He says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye. Another famous passage. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. So we have a promise from God that he is going to lead us. That's it. This is what I've just been talking about. Prophecy. We believe that God speaks through people. Acts chapter 2 tells us that people will see visions, others will see dreams, and that we're all a prophetic people, hearing from God and proclaiming on God's behalf. That sounds pretty awesome. And if you've got a sense that God wants to speak through you, it can feel quite awesome. How do I handle this? Almighty God wants to speak through me. Wow. And the Bible gives us some helpful guidelines. It says this, that two or three prophets should speak and the others should weigh carefully what's said. They're checking and saying, well, is that that the right time? Is it the right word? Is it it of God or not? And there's no punishment if it isn't, but you're expected to test it. How about this one, 1 Thessalonians 5, just as the kids are coming back in. Have a look at this one. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all and hold on to what is good. So what's the implication of that? that some prophecies won't be good. Yeah? That's the implication, isn't it? And you're meant to test them. And say, well, this one's good, this one isn't. We'll hold on to the good and we won't worry about the rest. So we're weighing it up. We're testing. Is God saying this or isn't he? I, I mentioned earlier that there are some people in the Bible who never had a call of God and yet were called by God. When it comes to leadership appointments, this is what Paul says to Timothy, whoever aspires to be an overseer or an elder desires a noble task. Does it say is called to a noble task? Does it say must have a call of God? No. It says they desire, they want to do this. They're desiring something that's a good thing to do. And then Paul goes on to list a list of requirements for people who can be overseers. None of which mentions the call of God. 
So if you've not been called by God to a particular thing, it doesn't rule you out from doing it. This is about deacons. Secondly, they must first be tested. And if there's nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. So testing is more important than a sense, an innate sense of God's call. Because there will be times when you feel called to do something and God hasn't spoken. So how, let me wrap this up. As we see, how do we know if God is leading me? Well, let me repeat what I've already said. Firstly, if an angel turns up, or if you notice a burning bush and the voice of God speaking to you, it's probably God speaking to you. So do what he says. Secondly, if you're already called, which you are in the world, you're, word, you're called to be on mission, called to make disciples, called to be free, called to be holy, there's a lot to be getting on with. But what about all that other stuff? What job should I have? Where should I live? All those kind of things. Well, in that, I believe that God will lead us and direct us. But this, I think, is a great passage for us to help us know what, how to do that. It says, do not conform to the pattern or the culture of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So test it. Stay intimate with God, as Don was encouraging us last week. That place of intimacy is vital to be able to test and approve God's call. Get into God's word. Very simply, if you read more of God's revealed call, you'll be able to identify when you have a sense of God's personal call to you. Because you'll already know if it's from God or not. Be close to God. Let him transform you. Ask questions about the thing that you're wanting to do. Does it match what I already know? Have I been spending time in God's presence? Because if I haven't, it's just possible that my desires are selfish or sinful desires, not godly desires. Ask who's going to be glorified in my plans. Ask if my plans don't happen, will I be disappointed? If God says no, that's not my will, will I be disappointed? Because in that case, it's possibly not God speaking anyway. Ask will people see more of God or more of me? if this plan gets fulfilled. Ask, will I mind if I'm not successful or acknowledged or recognized? Ask, will people hear more about Jesus or less? Ask, what do wise, fearless, and godly people say? Because I'm testing out the call in a community of people. I want to encourage us today that the call of God is to the most life-affirming journey possible. There is no better way to live our lives than to live as called people. To live as people who take hold of God's calling, who who live every day for him. And I want to encourage us today that you don't have to wait for God to turn up and say, you specifically are called to do this. He may do. He may do. He's still doing it day after day after day around the world. But until then, follow God's revealed call listen to his voice, and test it with others against his word and against glorifying him. If you want to know what God wants you to do, start doing what he's already told you to do and go from there. It's a great place to start. We're already God's called people, so let's live like that. Shall we pray? Father, I thank you for your calling on our lives. Lord, I pray for each person here. All of us have tried to take this thing seriously. 
because all of us take your will seriously. And many of us have spent many hours at different points asking you what your call is or what your will is or what we should do. And Lord, I thank you that not one second of that time is wasted because we believe that you have directed our steps. And Lord, we want to continue seeking you for your guidance and your direction, just as this verse on the screen says, that we would be transformed by the renewing of our mind in your presence as well and seeking you. But God, I pray that we might remove any sense of fear today from our minds. That we would take away any sense of being afraid that we've missed it or blown it. Lord, that you'd take away from us any worry that, that somehow we've missed your call because we are still called. And we will remain called by you because of what you've already revealed. So God, I pray that when we're coming to make decisions, you'd take away fear and you'd give us faith. That you'd take away the, the looking at circumstances You take away our looking at things that would otherwise uh, deceive us or lead us astray. And God, that we would simply be a people who take you at your word and do what you've called us to do. Thank you that the call of God is the the most exciting way to live, to follow your call. God, I pray you'd help us worry less about did God really say and think more about doing what you've already called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen.